0: Well, if you've been with Clayton Valley Church for an amount of time, uh, you are very familiar with our special guests today. Uh, we're really glad to have uh, Doctors Nicholas and Vanessa Ellen with us. I did say doctors. They are both doctors. Uh, technically, Nicholas is a double doctor, so you should know that as well. But one of the reasons why we love having them, they are friends. We enjoy fellowship with them. We uh, share a common uh, way of, of approaching biblical counseling together. Uh, we also have a desire to see God transform lives and, and, and further his kingdom. But another thing that we really appreciate is, you know, I just mentioned two doctorates, right? So sometimes people go through that kind of education and they come out and what they say, it's sort of like stratosphere, you know, it's way up there. And you're going, well, how does that help me? How can I walk in a different way? How can I, how can I walk out of these doors? And live a different way. And I think you will find uh, that, that, that uh, Nicholas Allen has a way of bringing that forward in such a way where it touches our lives right where we're walking. Because all of scripture is to be applied. All theology, all theology is inherently applicable. Uh, it's the study of God. It transforms the way we live. And so we're really glad to have them with us. And Nicholas, would you come up and share the word now? Let's welcome him. Good
1: morning to you all. I think I remind you every time that that's my brother from another mother. You guys know that, right? So if you guys don't treat him right, he has a home in Houston that he can come to. (laughs) I am so excited to be here again with you. It's always our privilege to come fellowship with you. Uh, As I was sharing at Sunday school, it's always bittersweet when I come on Sunday because I love being here so much, but this is always my last day up in cali and then i have to go back to texas not that i don't love texas uh, but i really just enjoy the fellowship of being with you so again thank you for the privilege of being able to be here with you and just the time i just really enjoy the fellowship so let's open up in a word of prayer and let's dive into god's word together father we thank you for the joy that you give us of being able to be brothers and sisters from around the world that you put us in fellowship with you you put us in right relationship with you and Lord, I just pray that you continue to allow us to walk in oneness so that the world would see that you, Lord, was, were brought by the Father and that the world would see your love as they see us. Would you guide us and guard our hearts today? Would you help us to understand what you want us to see so that we could live it out in practice for your glory and the blessing of others? We ask this in Christ's name, amen. My mother, when she was 16, was pregnant with myself. And my father was like that song about the temptations. Papa was a rolling stone. And so over the years, my mother, she ended up finishing high school. And she went to Berry College. We were Georgia kids. I was from Rome, Georgia. She went to Berry College. And then she uh, went to the University of Tennessee and got a master's. And I would go to school with her while she was there. And she ended up getting her PhD. And we ended up moving to Nashville, and then to Texas, where I've spent most of my life. And as I was there in Texas, my last year of college at the University of Houston, I put my faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that changed my life. And as it changed my life, I ended up going to Dallas Theological Seminary. And my very last year of seminary, I got a call from my father. And it was one of the strangest, most transformative conversations I think I'd had in all of my life he said listen son I, I know I haven't been around and I know I've abandoned you and your mother but I got to be honest with you I'm I'm a drug addict I'm a drug dealer and I'm a carn artist I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing and if anybody knew that I had a child they would try to take you out because of all the dirt I've done and because I'm not going to change I just figured it's best that you never see me and I thought wow How is that for an introduction to meet your father all over again, right? I think at the time I was 23, 24. And he says, but as a Carn artist, I want to teach you a lesson. I'm thinking, I'm in seminary. (laughs) I don't think I need to learn about being a Carn artist in seminary. But it was so intriguing that he wanted to teach me a lesson. I said, I'll tell you what, I'll bite. Go for it. He said, son, as a professional con artist, there are two types of people that you can always con. He says, and as a professional con artist, I've conned people out of homes. I've conned people out of money. I've conned people out of businesses. I've conned people out of cars. I've conned the best and the worst of people in the world, but there's only two reasons anybody was conned by me. He said, son, only two people can ever be conned in the con game people who are needy and people who are greedy. He says, if they're needy, I can sell them a story. They're so hungry for whatever I want to sell them, I can manipulate them to do anything I want. Not because they're not smart, but because they're so needy. He says, if they're really greedy, I can sell them a story and I can share and do everything. And again, it's not that they don't know better. They're so greedy, they miss the obvious and I can take them. He said, but son, in the con game, there's only one type of person that I can never con in the con game and that's a content person. Now I sat back and I thought about that over the years. I thought now my father, one, not knowingly helped me understand James chapter 1 verse 13 to 14 when it says let no one say when they're tempted they're being tempted by God for each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own, what does the word say there? Lust and in some Bibles evil desire which is this desire for what I want that I'm so willing to do anything for it. I thought, ah, needy or greedy. But then he helped me understand the passage we're going to look at today, where Paul says, not that I speak from want, but I have learned to be content. And then I start to look at my own life. I start thinking about All the times when people were able to manipulate me in the situations and I thought the manipulation was so powerful, it wasn't their manipulation was so powerful, I was just so needy or greedy that people could just say and do things that I would go with it and here's what's said, I knew better. Am I the only one that's been in that situation? The more needy or greedy you are, The less contentment you have and it's easy to sway you. But hear me well, it's not because people are more powerful or they're smarter than you. It's just that the more selfish we are, the more easy it is to manipulate us. Because we like what's being sold. I'll never forget my wife and I we first got married, and we were trying to work on debt, and you know, we had our idea about being debt free, and we kept working, and so we went to see this financial advisor, and he said these words that almost changed my life. He said, I could make all your debt go away. Whoa, if you sign right here, and as he gave me the pen, and I'm like, Yeah, my wife is like, uh, can we talk? I'm saying, but he's going to make our debt go away. She said, can we talk for just a minute? We step outside. She said, honey, he's talking bankruptcy. Do you know what that will do to our credit? I'm like, bankruptcy? I'm so ignorant, I have no idea. So she's breaking it down. I'm going, oh, no. And she says, see right here, paragraph 5, section 4. Oh, so not walking there. We can't do this because of paragraph five, what was that? Section four. Yeah. We we can't we can't do that. You know. But why was I so easy to succumb to signing my life away, my family's life away? Needy, greedy. Many of you in this room, like myself, you haven't learned the lesson that Paul has learned. And this lesson that Paul has learned, I think, is something for you and I that we need to grasp. And that is, we must come to a life of contentment. And as we understand and study what this is, as we look at Paul and study the picture of it and hopefully get a process, I challenge you to recognize that the areas of your life where you're needy and greedy, it's not that people know better. It's not that you didn't study your Bibles. It's not that you didn't have your devotions. It's not that you didn't come to church and serve. It's not that you didn't do all the right things, but there's still some areas of your life where what you want is more important than what God wills. And because those areas are greater than you know, you're easily swayed to do many things that you know aren't right to do, not because you don't know better, not because you're not smart, not because you haven't studied your Bible, not because you didn't read your word, not because you didn't come to church, but you're easily manipulated in those areas because you want that more than what God is letting you have and your contentment is is now connected to something other than God and his will. And the book of Philippians, Paul gives us this wonderful lesson as he goes into chapter 4, verses 10 to verses 14, and he paints for us this picture of contentment. But before we look at those passages and see this picture of contentment, let me give you a little context about Paul. Paul is in prison because he's been sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as he's been sharing the gospel, he's writing this particular church, the Philippians, and he is encouraging them because they have given him a gift. Now he's saying thank you for the gift, but in reality he's saying I was okay whether you would bring the gift or not because I had learned a lesson. And the lesson he learned was contentment. But what's so powerful about this, think about if you were in prison. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be saying, oh, Clayton Valley Church, you know, my brother from another mother and my good sister there. God is good. I'd be like, hey, guys, come get me out. Where's the bail money? Who's got my lawyer? Paul is saying, you know what? Whether you had came through or not, I've learned a valuable lesson. And it's a lesson of contentment. So I want us to explore how he got there. Because for many of you in this room, you're so unhappy because you've tied your sense of well-being to people. And some people said they were going to do something that they're still not doing. They have done something you didn't like. And there are certain sta- circumstances, their outcomes. And you are very miserable right now because you put all of your hope and sense of well-being in people and circumstances. And you are easily going to be swayed and manipulated like my father, the carn artist, was able to do. But it's because there's a lesson that Paul has learned that we must learn together. And until we learn it, we will always be manipulated because of being needy or greedy. Let's look at this definition of contentment before we dive in. And as we look at this passage, we're building our understanding of contentment on this definition. Here's the definition that we have for contentment. It is sufficient satisfaction within the heart through fellowship with and the power of Jesus Christ are from external circumstances and people. Let me summarize that. Your well-being is based upon fellowship with God and nothing else. What would your life be like if you woke up every morning and your well-being was no longer tied to what may or may not happen as it relates to circumstances, events, your financial situation, What would your life be like if your sense of well-being was no longer tied to people, what they were going to do or what they didn't do or what you thought they were going to do? How much satisfaction of your soul would you have if your world was no longer tied to those things and your sense of well-being was tied to God alone? This is what god is calling us to this is the kind of life that he wants us to have not that we won't have problems and pains and issues in life but that our sense of well-being our sense of contentment is no longer based upon the promise of words of people no longer based upon these things may or may not happen no longer based upon what the government may or may not do no longer based upon all the circumstances around us but we're saying every single day you know what I'm sufficiently satisfied in my soul apart from anything or anyone at any time. Paul learned this lesson. And as we look at this passage together and understand that, we need to recognize something very specific about this lesson that Paul learned. This is not something you can get over a Bible study. This is not something you can get by reading your Bible every day. This is not something you can get by memorizing verses of scripture. This is not something you can get by coming to church. This is not something you can get by serving in ministry. This type of contentment comes through you putting to practice the reality of what God says on a daily basis. And the more you put these things to practice that we see that Paul did, you will be able to say like Paul, I have learned to have a sufficient satisfaction in my soul apart from people and circumstances. So this is an experiential thing that comes by the practice of living a life as Paul lived. So let's explore this together. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to verses 14. I'm going to read these passages. And then from there, we want to look at the picture of contentment that comes from watching Paul. In verse 10 to verse 14, he says, But I have rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revised your concern for me. Indeed, you were well concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be what? Sufficiently satisfied in my soul, apart from people and circumstances. Isn't that a powerful reality? I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I know so how to live in prosperity in every, in any circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry both of having abundance and suffering need I can do all things through him who strengthens me now let me just stop for a moment just this dumb question verse 13 comes after what verse 12 so verse 13 is talking about what verse 12 I can't tell you how many times I've heard this verse taken out of context and please remember when you take a text out of context you will always get a con Did you hear what I said? If you take a text out of context, you'll what? Always get a con. And here is a verse that people take out of the context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, let let me just give an example. I am five, five and a half. And I hold that half because the doctor said I was five, five and a half. (laughs) Now, I can sit up here and take a basketball and I can look at a regulation NBA goal. And I can believe it and think I can achieve it. I can even put on that song, I believe I can fly. And I can sit here and meditate on that. And I can take this verse all day long and say I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And as soon as that song ends or whatever and I'm in the air, as my back is going out, my knees are crinkling, and I can no longer reach that, it is not going to happen. But too often people, because they don't see this text in line with verse 12, they are claiming things that God never said. The verse says, I can do all things, but it's tied back to verse 12. Let me read verse 12 one more time. I know how to get along with humble means. That means with nothing. I also know how to live in prosperity. That means with a whole lot. I also know how to live in every circumstance, being hungry, going field, having abundance, or having Nothing. I can do all of that through Christ who strengthens me. Does that make sense? Not all these things that if you can believe it, you can achieve it. And if you just put your mind out, that's not true. That suggests that you have the power to name it and claim it and to grab it and bag it and to call it and haul it and to speak those things is not as though they are. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You can't do that. Because if we could, I would claim debt, and now in Jesus' name, poof be gone. I'd be the richest man alive if I could speak it into existence. And I don't think I'd be by myself, would I? But those are lies. Based upon bad theology and an unbiblical reality. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can live with a little or live with a lot. And we're going to come back to that in a moment. Verse 14, he says, Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. So let's take all of these verses. And I want you to see the lesson we can learn, the picture of contentment that Paul is painting for us. Because you and I, if we really want to have a life of contentment, if we really want to have this sense of well being that's not tied to people and circumstances, we've got to learn from Paul. First of all, we see this letter A Paul rejoiced in the Lord when others came through for him. But look at this, yet his state of mind was not conditioned upon their gift. Many of you, your whole emotional well being, is based upon what people tell you they will or will not do for you. And your whole life is shot or excited because somebody said they were going to do something and your whole world is miserable when they don't follow through because your well-being is tied to the words of others, not the God who controls all things. Here's Paul saying, I'm glad you came through, but even if you didn't come through, I was okay because my well-being is no longer attached to what people say they're going to do or what they don't do. I've learned a sufficient satisfaction in my soul apart from people and circumstances. But secondly, we see this, that Paul learned to live with what he had and let it be enough. I know how to get along in humble means. He may have wanted more, but he learned to live with what he had. You know what's a funny passage that we never think about? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. But what if there's something we don't have in the moment we think we should have? Then, according to that verse, do we really need it in the moment? But we think we do, which is where we have to begin to embrace the boundaries that sometimes God sets, so that our well-being is not tied to the thing we think we have to have. That if we have to have it, we would have it in the moment. I love to do that with couples who, you know, come for counseling and they say, "But you don't understand. I need her respect." And I always laugh and say, well, that's interesting. At the level you need it and you're still breathing and you haven't gotten it yet, that should tell you something. <laughs> if you need it that bad, you're still surviving. But you don't understand, I need his love. I understand you say you need it, but you haven't gotten it at the level you want. And it seems like you're still surviving. Maybe this isn't a need. Maybe it's a desire you've turned into a demand which is easily allowing you to be manipulated to a sense of well-being or lack thereof because of something you have worshipped above the God who loves you. And maybe the lesson is what you think you need, you don't need in order to be where God wants you to be. And maybe you have to learn to live with what God lets you have versus always mad about what you don't. Paul said, I've learned to live with humble means, But also, look at this, letter See, Paul learned to live without anticipating the provision of God. He knows how to get along in every situation. Why? Because of his relationship with God. But here's the big thing I want you to see about verse 12 that really is the secret to this contentment thing. Because in order to learn how to live with and to live without and to live with a lot, you have to adjust your desires to match your condition and circumstances. Let that sink in for a moment. There's no way you can live with a little and then live with a lot and then go back and forth unless you've learned how to accept what God allows in your life in that moment. That means you have to adjust. Okay, when I have a little, I need to adjust it a little. Okay, I have a lot, praise God, I can enjoy a lot. But as much as God will take and give, take and give, much as he'll let me be blessed or burdened by people and circumstances, my desires have to learn to accommodate or fit the limitations of the sovereign boundaries that God puts in my life. And the moment I learn to Adjust my desires to the sovereign boundaries that God puts in my life, I start to have a sense of well-being that's no longer tied to the circumstances and the people or the issues in my life. I'm actually OK where I am because the Lord really does become my shepherd. Paul says, "I, I, I can live with a lot. I can, I can live with the little. I adjust my desires to the limitations of the sovereignty of God for my moment. And for many of you, you're frustrated because you won't accept the boundaries that God has set in that moment. You want answers that God won't give you. You want solutions that God won't let you have. You can't just live with what he's allowing and let that be enough for your life. And so you're worried or angry, you're miserable, you're frustrated, you're trying to figure it out. You haven't learned to adjust your desires to the sovereign boundaries of God in that moment and let his sufficiency be enough. Paul said, I've learned how to live with the little, I've learned how to live with the lot. Verse 13, I can do it all through Christ who strengthens me. But we also see that Paul depended on God's power from within to cultivate contentment in his condition and circumstances. I can do it all. How? Letter E or F because he had fellowship in his condition and circumstances. See, the one thing that God is trying to teach all of us, true contentment, this sense of well-being apart from people and circumstances, mean that you accept his role as God in your life and you accept your role as as being under his authority in your life that means that when he says yes you say yes when he says no you say no when he lets you have you enjoy when he lets you suffer you endure a man asked me at a marriage conference so then how am I supposed to live with my wife I said you want the sweet answer or the real answer give me the real answer learn to enjoy her learn to endure her while you live for Christ with her and you'll be like Paul in life You're too consumed with what she does or doesn't do. Your world is too wrapped up in what you think you should have and what you think you deserve. You've not yet to accept the sovereign boundaries of God and to enjoy your wife, to endure your wife, but to live for Christ with your wife so that you are always at a place where your well-being is not dictated by the attitudes and actions of another. Do you know the closer you get to anybody, the clearer you get to experience and see their depravity? Let that sink in. The closer you get to anybody, the clearer you get to see and experience their depravity. And guess what? The closer they get to you, the clearer they get to see and experience what? Your depravity. This is part of God's setup so that you stop believing that your well-being is tied to people and circumstances. The only true gift is from above. Imagine what your life would be like if we started to see life... The way Paul sees it. If we started to embrace this passage as our reality. But here's the last thing I want you to see. This is what we see in verse 14. Paul showed appreciation when others came through for him, yet he did not live for or by what others may or may not do for him. And many of you right now are mad and bitter and frustrated because someone said they were going to do that they didn't do. And watch this, they're not held hostage by their inconsistencies, you're held hostage by their inconsistencies. They're asleep. Who's up all night because of their inconsistencies? You are. They've forgotten about the thing that they didn't come through on because it wasn't that important to them. But man, it was major for you, and you're up all night. How could they not? And what about? And how could this? Versus saying, you know what? God, you are sufficient. My well being cannot be determined by what somebody will or will not do. My well being cannot be determined by the outcome of circumstances. Lord God, you are enough. And I accept what you've allowed in these sovereign boundaries, and I submit to your will in these sovereign boundaries, and I embrace right now that you are enough. So whether these people come through or not really doesn't make a difference. Whether this happens or not really doesn't make a difference. My well-being rests on my fellowship with you. What would your life be like if that was your daily existence? See, that's what God is trying to guide us to as we see this picture of Paul in his contentment. That's what God is trying to move us to because, guys, we're going to be easily manipulated all the time, needy and greedy. Con artists are going to get us everywhere. Let me give an example. This is our con artist work in the church. Pastor, I sense in my spirit that somebody in this room are having physical problems. Pastor, I sense in this room someone is having relationship problems. Pastor, I sense in this room that someone is having financial problems. Guess what? That's not everybody in this room at some level. The Bible says they have no temptation taking you but such as is. So, of course, if I talk long enough, I'm going to identify with all of you at some level. But when you don't know you're being manipulated, somebody identifying with you becomes more important than seeing the wisdom of what God is saying to you. And when you want what you want, the more you want it, you're easily swayed, even in the church, by things that seem right and sound right that are sincerely wrong. I sense in my spirit. If you want the answers for 19.99, buy my book. <laughs> How does that work? I mean, I love this guy. I mean, I don't love him, but the, the, his commercial is great. Maybe you've seen this commercial out here, where this "quote-unquote" miracle water. And these people get on and say, you know, since I had this miracle water, my bills have been paid. I've gotten this job. I'm going, wow. The miracle water did this. And then this prophet gets on and says, if you want more of this, my name is Pastor Beep Beep. And I'm thinking, this has to be working. Somebody is so needy and greedy for what they want that he's able to manipulate them, not because they're not smart, not because they don't understand truth, but because they're so selfish and wrapped up in what they want, someone has identified with where they are and swaying them. I said, man, my old man had it right, needy, greedy. Paul said, I've learned something. Whether I have a little or have a lot, I've learned how to adjust my desires to fit the sovereign situations, the sovereignty of God. I've learned that my well-being can't be tied to the outcome of events or what people say they will or will not do. I'm free. I've learned contentment, sufficient satisfaction. Now, with that in mind, as you look at your notes, I want us to take that. I want you to think about this. There are a few other passages. We don't have time to go through them, but you have them here with you. And as you look at the New Testament and you see the word contentment, you will discover that there are some characteristics of content people that I want you to think about. As we saw the picture of Paul and how he came to this contentment, there's a perspective that people who are content have. And I want you to look at this with me. Here's one thing. A content person is able to accept their condition. And let that sink in for a moment. That's what Paul was. I've learned how to accept in God's sovereignty how to adjust to where I am. A content person is able to accept their contents. What does that mean? Go to the car dealer. Don't you want to have a bigger, better car if it fits this price? Well, let's not talk about price. No, let's talk about price. Don't look to my wife to try to use her against me. We're all on the same page here. This is what I want. But, but don't you want to look good in that car and be the envy of the world? No. Nope. What is that about? Accepting what I have and that's enough. It's nice to have more, but if I don't, I'm good with what I have. It's like that commercial I saw this guy. Hit, and it was, it was funny. He had a quote-unquote T3 computer and he was driving in his car. And then he looked up and it said, coming soon, the T4. And he went... It's kind of like the Apple products. I mean, I love Apple and Samsung, but, you know, what is it now? What is it up to now? 13, 14, I I forget. 14? Man, you don't have the 14? Dude. (laughs) A content person accepts their contents. Here's the third thing. A content person is able to endure their circumstances. Why? Because they're not consumed with the outcome of events or the words of people they trust in the God who has them a content person is depending on Christ a content person is pursuing Christ likeness a content person here's a big one is not a complainer when you complain you're saying to God you don't know what you're doing and you've made a mistake God says in all things give thanks for this is his will concerning you. God isn't just allowing or allowing or not giving you just because he's being this mean old man. There's always a lesson when you can't have what you want or you get what you don't want. And the lesson is the world doesn't revolve around these things. It revolves around your fellowship with him. And your sense of well-being is always tied to him. And when you make it tied to other things, you'll be miserable. And your emotional well-being will go up and down. Because I can tell you, man, when my bank account would get to a certain level, my emotional well-being was at a certain level. And God had to show me, the more you trust that I'm faithful, whether you have a little or a lot, your emotional well-being will be fine. Because it's not tied to what someone said or didn't say. It's not tied to what you expect or you think should happen. It's tied to me. You can't get there by Bible study. You can't get there by praying for it. You can't get there by showing up at Sunday school and coming to church every week. As you pray, as you do your Bible study, as you show up to church, as you serve, this becomes a practical opportunity to put to practice what you're learning. As one pastor used to say to me, Nicholas, first comes the teaching, then comes the test. And many of us, we were pass the test of exposition, but we would fail the test of application. And our lack of contentment is not because we don't know. It's because we haven't begun to put this to practice and watch the power of God In our lives. Not only is a content person not a complainer. Finally a content person has an attitude of consideration. An attitude of consideration. Now I've been trying to work this through for the last two years. Because in my life and my wife together. We've had a lot of. I like to use the word drama. Does anybody know what I mean by that? A lot of drama. I mean from parishioners to family, to circumcision. I won't bore you with all the stuff, but man, over the last two years, matter of fact, I take that back over the last five years. It's just been a lot of stuff going on in my life. And my wife and I have had to sit back and begin to ask a very simple question. Lord, what are you up to? This doesn't seem right to us. We're confused. And and the more I got into Philippians chapter 4, and I recognized that God was up to something good when everything seemed to be crazy, I start to recognize that he was trying to make this real in my life before I could really share with you as I'm sharing with you. And that is my well-being was too tied to everything outside of God. Bank accounts. People, circum. I mean I couldn't be alright unless if you said you were going to do something I'm waiting for that to happen my whole world is revolved around that and when you don't do it my whole world is a mess. If I'm waiting for something to happen and it hasn't happened yet my whole world is revolving around waiting for that thing to happen and if it doesn't happen my whole world is a mess and when it does happen I'm okay and I found myself like the Israelites. Oh look at what the Lord did. Oh Lord where are you? Oh look at what the Lord Did oh Lord and I found over the last five years my emotions are up and down because I was missing the lesson. I was too tied to people and circumstances. And God kept saying, Look at Paul, I have learned, I have learned, I have learned. Not intellectually, experientially. I've learned to have a sense of well-being because God had to give me a lot and then let me have a little. God had to allow things to come through and then not let things come through. God allowed people to do right and allowed people to do wrong. I have learned that my well-being cannot be tied to the personality and attitudes of people or circumstances, but to my fellowship with God. Let me ask y'all just a dumb question. How many of you know flaky people? Come on, be honest, right? Now, can we get personal? How many of you tend to be very flaky? So think about it. We are inconsistent individuals putting all our hope into each other versus the one who controls all things. Let me close by giving you some practical things. And again, I'm not there yet. I'm working it through. But these last five years have been a lot. It's been a lot of drama. And going back to the word of God and just starting to see practically, okay, Lord, I never saw Philippians as I see it now, but you've got to be at a place where your well-being can no longer be tied to this in order to live through and learn to enjoy, learn to endure, but live for you in the midst. In order to get there, you've got to grow through as you go through. And for about three and a half years, I was just going through. And these last part of it, of this five years, I'm learning how to grow through as I go through. Am I making sense? And I'm starting to experience what Paul is saying. I've learned to be. I'm not there, but I'm growing in it. Let me give you some tools that I have been trying to put to practice as we uh, put this together. Process Number three, the process of contentment. Here's what I'm learning to do. I'm not there yet, but I'm learning. Enjoy the good and perfect gifts that God provides in your life through the means of people, circumstances, and tangible things of this creation. Man, when it's good, I'm learning to say, yeah, this is good, man. Let me give an example. This guy called my wife and I said, listen, we don't have a lot of biblical counseling training in Hawaii. So we don't have a lot, but we have a home that you can stay in and a car we'll let you use, and you can stay here as long as you want. Would you pray about it? Okay, I prayed about it. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) The Lord has spoken. Let's go, man. And I'm excited. That's going to be fun, right? It's going to be some work, but it's going to be fun. I'm going to enjoy that. But here's the second thing. Look with me at letter B. I'm learning to do something I didn't know how to do well. Grieve the disappointments in life that come through the means of sin, suffering, unrealized expectations in relation to people and circumstances and the tangible things of this creation. I'm learning how to say to my wife, to my daughters and to my family, I'm just not feeling well today. I am truly disappointed. There are some things that I wanted to happen. There are some things that I thought this person would do, and right now I need a moment because I'm sad. I, I, I wanted it to happen, but it didn't happen, and I just need a moment to to get it together. But thirdly, here's what I'm learning to do: give thanks for your condition and circumstances, knowing God will use it to bring about His glory and your good through your condition and circumstances. I'm learning to enjoy. I'm learning to grieve. I'm learning how to say, Lord, thank you, because you're working out a plan. But here's what else I'm learning through this, and I'm trying to put to practice. Letter D, accept and endure what God has allowed in your life through the means of sin, suffering, unrealized expectations, people, circumstances, intangible tangible things of this creation through seeking to make the most of it without complaining about it. Can't change it. Whining and pouting ain't going to make it any better. And I'm learning to accept and endure. But, but the biggest thing right now, and this is the hardest out of everything, but I'm trying to learn this, which is letter E. And this is what's really at the core of all of this. Adjust your desires to fit your situation in relation to people, circumstances, intangible things of this creation. That is the hardest lesson, but I'm learning that with contentment because seeing God's sovereignty, he has set boundaries that I can't change. And the more I'm worried and angry, the less I'm saying, I'm not accepting what you've allowed. You can't me I'm not going to get what I want. I can't live with what I have. But until I adjust my desires to your sovereign boundaries, I'm going to be miserable. And the more I am doing that, it's changing things. I'm lowering my expectations of what I want from people and raising my love for people and things are changing. Letter F, no longer demand that people satisfy you, but seek to help people glorify God. Now, let's be honest. We love for people to operate according to how we think, don't we? Because we think our thought processes are always the best way. And for many of us, we keep antagonizing people because they don't think like us, we think they're inconsiderate because they don't have our fears and insecurities. And because they don't fear like we fear have our insecurities, we think that they're being inconsistent because they're not afraid of the things that we're afraid of. Or we think they're inconsistent because they're not bold in the areas where we're bold. And why can't you just do what I'm doing the way I'm doing it? Come on. But what that means is I'm not learning how to live to love others. I'm trying to make people live to be happy like me, to think like me, to be me. What if I stop trying to make people satisfy me but seek to guide them to glorify God? I'm learning. I'm not there. I'm learning. G, function according to your roles and responsibilities in relation to people and circumstances as assigned and commanded by God out of your covenant with God and not your mood of the moment. We are a generation and a nation of baby Christians. Do you know how baby Christians operate? According to how we feel. We love Jesus and then we don't because we don't feel like it. Mature Christians operate out of their covenant not out of their mood. God is trying to guide us out of being moody Christians to actually walking and being mature covenant Christians. Does that that make sense? I'm learning. I don't feel like preaching today honey. I don't want to go to church. But you're the pastor. Honey you gotta go. (laughs) here's another thing I'm learning embrace the character of God that is befitting for the moment leading to worship and enjoyment of God according to that character there are certain attributes of God that he's trying to call all of us to embrace in our lives some of you you don't really believe he's sovereign and he is allowing you to experience so much so that you can finally embrace it Some of you don't believe that he's truly your shepherd. Some of you may not embrace his love or his wisdom. But whatever it is, God will make it plain. And as we learn to embrace those particular attributes where we are in the time, we'll begin to find that true sense of well-being. See, for me, I truly didn't believe that God was faithful. I preached it. I talked about it. But now I am certain beyond a shadow of a doubt, I rest in the faithfulness of God. I didn't three, four, five years ago. But it took those four or five years for that attribute to become a reality for me. Here's the last thing I want you to think about overall in all of this. Overall, we must enjoy every pleasure that God allows. Endure every pain that God allows while living from him, through him, and to him in our condition and circumstances. Focusing on his covenant to us. Guys, I'm not there yet, but over the last four and a half or so years, as I'm coming to the end of 2022, I have really started to develop and asking God to help me understand what Paul, when he said, I've learned to be content. I want to read something to you in closing that I thought was fascinating. Listen to these words. Jesus is the doorway into the life that is truly life confidence in him leads to become his apprentice or to become his apprentice in eternal living those who connect with jesus christ will find that all they need to have in life and life to no limit we must increasingly integrate our lives into the spiritual world of god at every point of our lives we must live our lives in interactive dependence upon god and interactive submission to his kingdom rule the condition of life sought by human beings through the ages is attained in quietly transforming friendship of Jesus. We must learn what is real, discover how well-off we are in Jesus, and begin to live accordingly to that reality. We're supposed to groan because there are things that we have been promised but yet not yet have. We're supposed to groan because the full expression of God's kingdom has not yet come. We're supposed to groan because we're not yet all that God shed the blood of his son for us to become. We're supposed to groan because the temporary pleasures of this physical world do not satisfy us. They always leave a void in our hearts. We're supposed to groan because in every situation and circumstance, we see the damage that sin has done and is doing. We're supposed to groan because we recognize how each give in to the temptation to seek in the physical world, What can only be found in the Lord and what will only be fulfilled in eternity. This side of eternity, groaning, is meant to be the default language of the big kingdom. When we groan for these reasons, we get it right. This kind of groaning is only present in people who are submitting little kingdom desires to big kingdom interest. Where does one find ultimate fulfillment, satisfaction and contentment in God? in God alone. Living for God is indeed fulfilling, but we don't find him fulfilling because we're too busy being satisfied with the temporary pleasures of the physical world. Before we can ever come to God, we have already, before we ever come to God, we've already decided the things that we want in order to be fulfilled. We tend to seek God so that he will deliver some kind of physical, relational, or circumstantial fulfillment. Rather than working to satisfy us with these things, God wants us to experience hunger so deep that it drives us to forsake these things and find our satisfaction in him. Isn't that a powerful reality? Now I've got a little assignment for you. You've got some questions there. I want you to take the next week Make copies of this. And not in the morning, because you haven't sinned good yet in the morning. But in the afternoon, after five, when you've come home before you're sleepy. I want you to sit down and ask and answer these questions for yourself. And go back to this passage. Question number one. What do I want that I cannot control getting? What am I getting that I don't want and I can't control it? How am I responding in attitude to this? How am I responding in conversation to this? How am I responding in actions to this? How am I treating others as a result of this? According to scripture, how would God view my attitude, my conversation, my actions, my relational patterns in relation to this? How do I need to accept or what do I need to accept that God has allowed How do I need to obey God in this situation? What has God promised in his words that I can rest on in accordance to this situation? And then finally, how can I adjust my desires to fit this situation? My brothers and sisters, as I am growing in this, I wanted to share this with you. Contentment is possible, but it's a price. Your well-being can no longer be tied to people and circumstances. And part of the process of getting there is allowing you to be blessed and to be burdened by people and circumstances so that you can say like Paul, not that I speak from want, but I've learned to be sufficiently satisfied in the soul apart from people and circumstances because of my fellowship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. You've given us everything we need. And Lord, we don't quite understand why you've denied so much or why you've blessed us with so much. But we're understanding that you want us to not be slaves to what we want or consume with what we don't have, but to find our sense of well being and fellowship with you. Forgive us, Lord, because we've held on too much to the resources, or to the words of people, or to the outcome of situations. And we recognize that you're breaking us, not because you're mad at us, but you're trying to help us to live the life you've called us to. May we begin to learn, like Paul, this process and practice of contentment. In Christ's name, amen.